Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. Jesus says, get into that which will feast on obedience and be, leave your water pot behind. Share the love of Jesus Christ. It will fill you up. You see, the pursuits on earth will not fulfill you. And then when you get to heaven, you'll be spiritually, you'll be bankrupt. You haven't laid up anything before. The rewards of heaven will not be there for you. You'll be in heaven. There's describes a group of people that just barely get there. But I know you don't want to barely get there. There's too much fruit to be had today. Sure, your eternal salvation is secure in Jesus, but there's so much more available to you and to me. This is amazing grace. If you've ever been without food for an extended period of time, you know how quickly we can become weak. But maybe you didn't realize we also need to feed our spiritual lives. And today on Abounding Grace, we'll learn that we can draw strength and stamina for our lives as we feast on obedience. Jesus modeled this for us in John chapter 4, and that's where we join Pastor Ed Taylor now. I was just down in Colorado Springs yesterday at Calvary Worship Center where Pastor Al Pittman is the pastor. I had a chance to, to teach some of their leaders and some of their students in Bible college. And this topic came up too, and that's this. I'm always, I'm always reminded, the Lord always reminds me, even when this worry and what I'm thinking about this and having to upgrade that and maybe getting this and I like that and those kind of things, that the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And so the Lord would have us to use the resources, the things that he's entrusted to us, I think there's a greater responsibility on us. And he says, look at the birds. Look, look at those that the birds are all taken care of. You're more valuable than a bird. He says later, he'll say, notice, which of you by worrying, verse 27, can add one cubit to his stature? Why do you worry about the clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, Jesus says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? After all these things the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He uses the comparison. We use the phrase Gentiles here in, the, in our English translation. But if that was translated today, he'd say, you know how the people in the world live? You know how the people that don't have a relationship with God live? They're after all these things. They're into all these things. That's all they live for. Not so with you guys. No, no, you're Heavenly Father. You have a Father that takes care of you. He knows and he cares. But not only that, Jesus then says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. How easy it is as the disciples are. Hey, you, you know, where's your food? What's going on? Somebody bring you food? And notice what Jesus says. Come back with me now to John chapter 4. 
Jesus talks to us in the spiritual realm so much more than food. He says in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Basically, Jesus is saying, I am full and I am satisfied because I have just been feasting on obedience. That's where I get my satisfaction, Jesus says. Of course, he was physically hungry. But in this, in this little exchange here, he is completely satisfied and he's not thinking of eating anymore. Now, the closest I, thing I can think of of what this looks like in, in my life and, and perhaps in some of your lives is when we dedicate those times in our church to a week of prayer and fasting. So we set a time aside and we say, look, we are going to seek God together, those that want to participate, and we are going to fast, which is the, the elimination of food. Like some of you have some serious marriage issues right now. You need to fast for your marriage. You need to fast for what's going on in your life and deny food so that God can build up your spirit. That's what you need to do. That's a word from the Lord for you right now. That's what God's asking you to do. He's asking you to separate yourself from the physical so you can grow yourself in the spiritual. That's God's word. And so we have a week. We have a week of prayer and fasting, and some people like to go more. And I don't know about you, but for me, day one is always the worst. It's always the hardest, and I get the worst headache on day one. The kind of headache that says, you know, if you just took a little snack, it would go away. If you just took a little snack, it would go away. And, and I battle that. I'm like, well, nobody will know. Nobody will. I'll, go in the, I'll go in my closet, and I'll have my little snack, Snickers bar, because that'll satisfy me. Take a little Snickers, and nobody will know. And then I walk out with chocolate on my lip here, and then Marie goes, what are you doing? I don't know, but I don't know. I don't know. Let me smell your breath. No! But it really wouldn't be between Marie and me, would it? It would be between me and the Lord. And so I fight it. I'm like, I know. I'm not going to take a bite. I'm not going to take... No, I want to take a bite. I want to take... I'm not gonna, you know, you have that battle going on. And inevitably, when I make it further through the first day, the headache goes away. And the Lord says, see what it feels like to feast on obedience? Just obey me. You made a commitment to me. Keep your commitment. Let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. Keep your commitment to me, feasting on. So Jesus says, my food, this is what I eat. This is what sustains me. This is what keeps me strong. I do the will of the Father and I'm finishing his work. Don't say, verse 35, don't you say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. It's a team effort sharing the gospel. It's a team effort as people are drawn to the Lord. I think of even moving here to Colorado to be used of God to be a part of a church plant. I found out that there were many people for years and years praying for this church before it ever existed. There were many people already tilling the ground and sowing the seeds and ministering to their community while they're also praying for the church that verse 39 says, Jesus sent me to reap. I get to be a part of something where people, I haven't labored. There were people laboring here before we got here. And now, of course, we're laboring and we're able to serve and we're preparing the way for people that will come behind us. And guess what? We get to both rejoice together. With the person that sows and the person that reaps, we have eternal rewards. And I believe he's connecting the disciples to this Samaritan woman on purpose. She took off, shared the gospel, and all these people are coming to Jesus. And I think in all the moment, 
Some commentators actually suggest, and I think it'd be pretty cool if it's true, we don't know, that the Samaritans were normally arrayed in white robes and had white turbans. So as all these people are coming to him, there's this mass of white coming up, and Jesus says, check this out, guys. There is a harvest ready to reap, and there they are coming to him. Now, we don't know for sure if that's what they were seeing, but that's really cool if it was. It's like, look at all these people. We know he's referring to the people for sure. They're all coming to him at the testimony of this woman. And he's telling us that the harvest is always ready. The harvest is always ready, church. Jesus sees a mass of people, and yet he sees the potential of salvation in their lives. We're not lost in the crowd. The harvest is always ready. There's a world of people around us who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. They might be religious. They might have a relationship in their minds with God, little g, but they don't have a true abiding relationship. They haven't, you know, we're surrounded by people, a lot of people that say they're believers, but they haven't left their water pot behind. It's like, oh, come on. There's a harvest. There's all sorts of people that are just ready. Other people have labored. Paul would put it this way. Some people plant and some people water but it's God that gives the increase. And that's what Jesus is saying here in a different way. Church, the harvest is always ready. There are many people that are empty and need you to open your mouth and share the good things that God has done and continues to do in your life. But there's also something else to notice here. Let's not forget who the mass of people are. They are Samaritans. Samaritans, remember the ones that are neglected? the ones that are being treated with racial prejudice, with religious prejudice. These are the people that are being ignored and overlooked, but you know Jesus sees them. These are the very people that no one else wants to hang out with and wants to avoid the city at all costs, but Jesus sees them. These are the ones that might be obnoxious, that might be snobby. You know, we worship this way. they, they, They have issues, and yet Jesus sees them. And when you begin to see people Like Jesus sees people, you will see the harvest. And it will motivate you to move into the harvest. Religion's not enough. It's not enough just to be a church attender, to sit in a chair, to maybe crack your Bible open. It's not enough. You're missing out. And we're missing out. You're missing out because of the the relationship that's lacking in your life. But we're missing out because of your gifts and talents that God wants to use in your life. You don't want to live your life in such a way where you're prejudging people. You know, we, we have a tendency... And certainly something you can pray about. Somebody came up to me last night and my counsel to her was pray. You need to pray. I don't know if what you're describing is prejudice in your life or not, but I know God does, so ask him. But you know, we have a tendency to label people. And once we label them, it's easy to dismiss them. And that's just not the heart of God. It's just not his heart at all. When he sees a mass of people, just like you, when you were in that mass of people, you were in a mass of people and you were a mess up in a mass of people. Jesus still drew you to himself, and here you are in relationship today. And and with this, there is a great revival. Because the Samaritans were broken people, because they were neglected, because they had a taste of religion, they were primed to hear the truth. How many people are we surrounded with that we we look at them and go, oh, no way, they'll never be saved, but God sees them and says, they're primed. Just go talk to them. They're ready. I've been setting this one up for you for years. And if you don't go, I'll send someone else. Jesus was sent to the Samaritans. A whole revival breaks out. They go with the gospel. You see, if you do get caught up, just to tie this all up, if you do get caught up 
in the things of this earth and you're not seeking first the kingdom of God, then the Bible of Jesus tells us that when you're reaping, you're receiving wages and the wages when you share the gospel is eternal. You're laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But if you're only caught up in the things of this life, which are easy to do, church, we have the daily stuff like paying the bills or not having enough to pay the bills or dishes to clean. Just think about it. You're worried about food. You cook a big meal. And then what's the next question? Who's going to wash the dishes? Not me. Not you. And you've got dishes to clean and houses to paint and you've got cars to get fixed and there's that little light came on the car and I've got to schedule this and you're just, man, I, some of you are single momming it and you've got that responsibility and, and it just buries you. And what happens? If, if you're buried physically and you're emotionally or, or you're, you're spiritually not laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven, then you're going to be frustrated, upset, and then you're not even going to have a spiritual life. And then it's going to start touching your emotions, and then, you know, you're in the borderline of just throwing it all away and walking away. Why? Because you haven't engaged in the things. You haven't been feasting on obedience, and so you're starving. You're starving now, and you're also not laying up anything for eternity. And it's going to wear on you. None of us can survive that. It will take us down. It will be the end of us. And so Jesus says, get into that which will feast on obedience and be, leave your water pot behind. Share the love of Jesus Christ. It will fill you up. You see, the pursuits on earth will not fulfill you. And then when you get to heaven, you'll be spiritually, you'll be bankrupt. You haven't laid up anything before. The rewards of heaven will not be there for you. You'll be in heaven. There describes a group of people that just barely get there. But I know you don't want to barely get there. There's too much fruit to be had today. Sure, your eternal salvation is secure in Jesus, but there's so much more available to you and to me. So notice now in verse 39 as we wrap up. Many of the Samaritans that in that city believed in him because of the word of the woman that testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Can you imagine what a cool two days that must have been to be discipled by Jesus himself? Two days hanging out with him. Hey, Jesus, come to my house. Come to my house. Come to my house. And many more believed, it says, verse 41, because of his own word. And they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, After two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. And so through the simplicity of this woman's witness and the simple teaching of Jesus, many in Samaria were saved. Then Jesus heads back into the Galilee region where he was headed for more love, more service to his father. And it must have been hard, I think, for Jesus to leave a revival like this. He knew that the Galilee region would be difficult for him. He knew what he was up ahead. And, and he just was like, this is awesome. Look what's happening here. But he needed to move on. God was moving him on. The father's will was him to leave. And later on, the Samaritans won't be left without help because later on, though, you Bible students know that Philip ended up landing there. He raised his family there, pastored a church there, and God used him in a great way. We learn about that in the book of Acts. So the Samaritans are well taken care of. God's going to take care of them. 
And yet Jesus had to move on. And before we leave, I just want to draw out something for you so you understand what some of you are experiencing. It's in verse 44. In verse 44, Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Another way of saying that is that uh, a believer in Jesus Christ is often spurned and rejected by the people that are closest to them, by their own family. Has anybody experienced that? Yeah, it's very common. It's very common. I want you to know it's normal. Because the natural thing for you and I to do when we, God has changed our lives is to go to our family and tell them about it. It's like mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, brother, sister, cousins, aunts, uncles. You know, we want to tell them about what God's done. And, and the very people we would expect to receive, they give us attitude. I remember sharing with my parents, um, you know, because we went to, to a very conservative church, so I was about in the sixth grade, and then we stopped going all together, and then, of course, my life went all crazy and haywire and sin and debauchery, and, and so when I got saved, man, I wanted to tell my parents. They, they need to be back in church. They need to be back. So I started telling them what we were doing at church, and they're, they're like, well, you know what? We'll wait it out because you're just, I, got, I used to get into all kinds of things, so they just thought I got into something else, and I got into something else, and only a matter of time before I stopped this and go back to normal. So they were skeptical. And then over time, I was saying, man, they'd see me at church all the time, or, you know, I'd be serving, and, and I'm like, my whole life was just set to serve the Lord. And so, as I was sharing with them, they go, you know what? You're involved in a cult, man. That's a cult. I'm like, what do you mean it's a cult? Like, like we read the Bible together, and we sing. Nobody's making me go. Like, I, I just want to serve the Lord. It's my family. I want to raise my kids in the ways of the Lord, and all we do is read the Bible and pray and sing. How can that be a cult? But they were pushing me back and resisting me until finally, over time, they recognized, no, 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 this is a true work of God in my son's life, and I missed that work of God in my life, and they began going back into a relationship with the Lord and started rekindling that which they had left, their first love, and, and man, they were studying the Bible. My dad was studying the Bible right before he passed on into eternity, and so you need to expect that there's going to be great opposition in your family. That's just the way it is. It's going to be hard. And it's going to be difficult. It happened to Jesus in Nazareth, Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. It happened in a time, if you recall, with Jesus, that his own family said he was crazy. Literally. Not just like using the word. They said he's out of his mind. But he wasn't out of his mind. They were. And so the very people you would expect to receive don't. The very people you think should receive don't. And then they push back. Many years ago when we were meeting as a, school, uh, as a church in the school behind us, um, in, in those early days, we, we had a gentleman who was really heavy into drugs and drug dealing and, and a young guy. Uh, he came to services and the Lord touched his heart and he was born again. He flushed, he left his water pot, man. He left everything behind. He flushed his drugs, turned over a new leaf. He got a new job and he began sharing the gospel. He still lived with his mom and he was sharing the gospel with his mom. Well, let's just say his mom wasn't very happy that her son found religion. And she was very upset to the point where she told her son, I want to talk to that pastor. So she called me, and I had an opportunity to talk to her. Now, I didn't know this would be such a significant illustration, or I would have wrote down everything that she said. But let's just say some of the words I would have written down, I would have written down with a little asterisk and a little thing. I would have made sure that I didn't use the word itself because she was really mad at me. And she was just laying into me. What have you done to my son? What are you guys doing to my son? He's different now. All he talks about is Jesus. And he's got his body and all that type of stuff. But she said something. And again, I don't have the exact quote, but I do remember the phrase. I remember what she said. She said this. And talk about the opposition this young man faced. She said this at the end of her conversation. She says, you know what, pastor? I like my son better as a, on drugs. 
than I do him at that church. And I've far since lost contact with him, and maybe he's listening right now. You can give me the update on his life. But I know he was dedicated, and he lived out this verse. A prophet's not without honor except in his own country. That, that is the way it is. And yet, don't grow a hard heart. Don't give up on people. Just continue to know, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And because we hate hatred, you know, we tend to compromise and stuff. But that, we want to stay away from that. And we just need to know there's going to be much opposition in your life as you seek to serve Jesus. People you should believe won't, and people you'd expect to believe don't. There'll be difficulty in your own home. That's why your food has to be the same food that Jesus feasted on. You've got to feast on obedience. You, you, you and I, we need to walk in the Spirit where I'm going to draw my strength from where I'm going to draw my stamina from, where I'm going to get the long-suffering and patience that I need with those that I love so dearly. And that's what Jesus said. In the New King James, verse 34 says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In the New Living Translation, it's, it's translated, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. And from the message, from the paraphrase translation, it says, The food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. And in my paraphrase, I'd like to say, man, the best place of strength for you and me is to learn how to feast on obedience and just to take it in because it'll give you the strength and the stamina that you need to endure what you face. Hey, thanks for joining us today for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're on a journey through John right now. And Ed, today we were encouraged to feast on obedience. Of course, we know that a steady diet of the Word of God is needed to be able to do that, as that's where we learn how to obey God. And there are more ways to do that today than ever before. So would you touch on some of the ways our listeners can access the teaching of the Word from us here at Calvary Church? Hey, thanks, Larry. You know, we have spent a lot of time developing our website and our app to make the teachings uh, from here at Calvary Church, dating back as far as we can, available. We just finished teaching through the entire New Testament. So every verse of the New Testament's been covered here, and probably about a third of the Old Testament as I work through verse by verse. And so you can get any of our teachings. The best way and the easiest way is just to download our free app and make sure you turn on notifications as we send them out. Go to your app store, put my name, Ed Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, in your search engine, because there's a lot of different Calvary churches out there. So just put my name in there, Ed Taylor, and the app will pop up. Download it. It's free. Turn on notifications, and, and you can see a list of all the resources that we have. We are very much a church that loves to resource and encourage folks in the Word, and all our teachings are there. And of course, the website, calvaryco, that's for Colorado, calvaryco.church. And then another place you can uh, access info through our podcasts, that's all available there as well, and my personal website edtaylor.org edtaylor.org so we'd love to connect with you we'd love to hear from you and if any of the teachings help man we are so encouraged because i know the word of god is what transforms us and we are grateful to be transformed thanks for sharing that pastor ed you know pastor ed has written an excellent book just perfect for days like these it's god's help for the troubled heart 
We all suffer and experience pain, and maybe for you, that's been at an all-time high in recent months. Well, God stands ready to help us when we experience a troubled heart. Perhaps you've experienced deep grief or a painful trial recently, or know of someone who has. I know you'll be blessed and encouraged as you read God's Help for the Troubled Heart. We'll send you a copy with our thanks when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or order it online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners, and as we continue delivering God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Oh, one other thing you might want to check out if you're in the midst of grief or suffering is Pastor Ed's blog. He shares raw thoughts on life, ministry, and grief. That's all at edtaylor.org. Well, thank you for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.